0: To love learning, to laugh, to love, to be loved, to see beauty, to understand, to bring grace to the things that matter most. This is Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra. Welcome to my show. For every life stage, we have questions. Let's enhance our lives together as we explore the things that matter most. Imagine this scenario, you and your loved one have each had busy and full working days and you both feel mentally and physically tired. It's now evening and you're both home. At this point, who continues to work? Who's still seen moving around, getting things clean, getting things ready, cooking, caring for the needs of the home and the children? and who is more likely to be seen resting and enjoying leisure. The time we spend working after working hours, which include those evening times and weekend hours, is referred to as the second shift, a term coined by author Arlie Hochschild. The work of the second shift also involves who is taking the time and mental energy to be the manager of the second shift duties, the person who conceives of and initiates what needs to be done. Catherine is frustrated that she and her husband work the same amount of hours as engineers, but in the evenings, he spends most of his time watching movies while she cooks, cleans, and does the dishes. One evening, She asks him to help her by emptying the dishwasher, and after a delay, he says, okay. He gets up and he gets it done. When one spouse more frequently asks the other, will you help me, to the other, then it implies that one of them owns and initiates and manages the task, and the other is just a helper In this case, husband Nicholas may not even notice the dishwasher needs to be emptied. And never has Catherine found him asking, Will you help me? regarding the dishwasher. Feeling ownership means you'll know when it needs to be done, and you'll just do it without having to be directed. Nicholas grew up hearing his dad say, I take care of the outside and your mom takes care of the inside. Because Nicholas does a little more than his father in the second shift, he sees himself as a modern man. But unfortunately for this couple, it's not enough. And it often leaves Catherine feeling exasperated. 30 years ago, Arlie Hoschild wrote about a study she did of 50 married couples with full-time jobs and young children. She concluded that women worked an additional four weeks of 24-hour days per year. She came up with this figure by adding up the amount of hours of paid work plus hours spent in the time of unpaid domestic work of the second shift. So 30 years later, what's happening with couples now? I did a deep dive into the research studies to find out. I favored journal research where I could look at statistical factors that I know would make for a good study. Liana Sayer and colleagues looked at the amount of hours men and women spent in both first and second shift work and found that American women worked five to seven more hours per week than men and that this gap increased if there were young children, but that overall there wasn't much of a gap among Australian couples. A different 2016 study, a longitudinal study, by Altintas and Oriel Sullivan of Oxford, looked at a 50-year span from 1961 to 2011 to see how much time men and women put into domestic work across 19 countries. The good news is that the gap is decreasing across all the nations, and this study found that men and women are moving towards more balance in this area, though it's still not exactly equal. Why does this all matter? Well, what's happening in the second shift in your household might affect your relationship. Dr. Alfred Damaris looked at 1,500 couples in his study and found that when women perceive that things aren't fair with the division of domestic duties, there's a greater risk of disruption to the marriage and a greater risk of divorce. Similar findings were confirmed by Dr. Brian Ogleski and colleagues. That was in 2014 and again by Daniela Bellani in her 2017 study, second shift imbalance can also affect one's parenting and, in addition, their energy for their success at work. The first question is whether or not you and your honey bunny are happy with the current situation regarding the second shift in your home. I enjoy Gary Chapman's concept of the love languages, the idea that we feel loved in five different ways, and they are words, touch, quality time, acts of service, and gifts. Chapman holds that we all have a primary love language, so it's interesting to consider what yours is and what your spouse's is to see if your actions are making them feel loved, and that is in the way they truly feel loved. If you feel most loved by acts of service, then you'll feel particularly loved when your spouse picks up those groceries or brings home delicious restaurant food so that no one has to cook. In addition, if your primary love language is touch, but your spouse is exhausted at the end of the evening from doing the majority of the second shift work. You're also impacted. Dr. Deb Bernstein talked exactly about this concept in my first podcast when we discussed sex therapy and how some things are accelerators to sex and other things are breaks. What if one person works full-time and the other part-time? Again, we're talking about looking at the balance of total hours worked for first plus second shift work and what it feels and what feels fair to the couple given all circumstances. With one part time person, there's more space opened up to get the domestic duties done. In doing my research in preparation for this podcast, I also came across. A concept of power between couples as it relates to domestic work. Some of it has to do with who makes more money. Studies found that in most cases, the spouse that makes more money also spends more hours working. The spouse that makes less money and works fewer hours might compensate by doing more of the domestic work. Interestingly, in the case of women who score low on what's called cognitive egalitarianism, and that has to do with believing that certain work is women's work and other work is men's work and the belief in certain gender stereotypes. So again, it's called cognitive egalitarianism. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but women who score low on that work more In total, they work more first and second shift combined than their partners, but these women still perceive that the balance is fair between the two of them. So, what matters is that both partners are happy with their arrangement. I recently met Dennis at my son's laser tag birthday party. Dennis is a commercial pilot who goes away on flights for three or four days at a time. When he's gone, his wife, Nori, takes care of their four boys and their home. While he's working, he knows that he gets a lot of leisure time in between flights. Sometimes he goes to the Caribbean. He enjoys the beach, dining out, the gym, and he recognizes that it is wonderful leisure time. So to keep things fair, when he comes home, he told me that he takes on the majority of the household and children's duties to allow Nori to have her own leisure time and downtime. And this, he explained, was why he was the one at the laser tag party. Kim came into a couples therapy session and said this, for 15 years, I've always planned the dates and I'm sick of it. I want him to start planning the dates. I understand her desire to sit back and relax from the planning, but people have different strengths and weaknesses and sometimes we need to accept and go with it. The goal is to have a nice date together and to bond over a shared activity. That's good for any marriage. Her husband, Larry, isn't a self-starter or a creative planner, and Kim is an awesome planner, whether it's for their own date, for children's parties, or for a fundraiser. It's just always been that way. Why attempt to fit a square peg in a round hole? I encouraged Kim to continue to work with her strength in this case and to accept that she will plan the dates. And as such, when it comes to second shift duties, what if one of you is excellent at managing the bills and the finances, and the other gets stressed out over it? I suggest you go with it, rather than insisting on being 50-50 over every duty. Within reason, couples should work out what works well with their natural talents and then give 100-100 to taking care of the community, so to speak. Okay, so if one of you is unhappy with the way the second shift is going in your household, what next? Step one is a calm conversation. Maybe your partner isn't aware or has never really thought about it. Objectively consider Who does daily and weekly duties to see what can be shifted? Daily duties might include feeding the animals, walking the dog, making the bed, emptying the trash, sorting the mail, putting away the clean dishes, cooking, cleaning, and more. There might be daily duties of caring for small children or elderly parents, depending on your life stage. And then there are the weekly duties like paying the bills, food shopping, putting it away, changing the sheets, cleaning the bathrooms, shoveling the snow for those in the cold, mowing the lawn, making sure the cars are okay, putting the trash out, cleaning the kitchen, and more. Once you as a couple have had the conversation about the second shift duties, and you're both in agreement that it should change, I suggest starting with just one change. It's important to approach each other with soft eyes and take an attitude of loving humility as you try to make this change. People have enough trouble changing things that they clearly know is good for them and that might actually be pleasant, like adding exercise. In this case, trying to get someone to add a domestic duty might feel like a punishment. That's going to be harder. It works well to also ask your partner to take on that one thing that they're adding in completion so that they'll feel a sense of ownership from beginning to end. For example, Mike wishes his spouse would do more in the second shift, but instead he most often finds her tap-tapping on her phone and eating potato chips. After having that difficult conversation, she agrees that the one additional thing she'll add is to take out the garbages to the curb on Monday. Mike notices in the first week, in the first week she's supposed to do it, that he's still managing the situation because he's afraid she'll forget to do it or she won't do it right. So he reminds her, today's garbage day. He even goes around the house to gather the garbage from the bathrooms and the peripheral rooms to put it all together for her to simply then drag it out to the curb. Easy. She gets it done. Now week two... She proudly puts out the kitchen garbages to the curb on her own, but doesn't think to gather the garbages up from the bathrooms, etc. So it piles up. Here is a decision point. Should he say something? He's proud of her for getting some of it out on her own, and he doesn't want her to think that he's criticizing her. Should he just do it himself next time so that it's done right? This is where the humility part comes in and his wife is the one that needs to take the feedback humbly and not get defensive. Be willing to go over every step of a new task and be patient with each other. In the best case, Mike's wife needs to take on this job in completion so that she owns it and the job is removed from Mike's mental and physical energy. It might take some negotiating about it, what the standards are, what each of their expectations are, but once the couple can achieve this small victory of getting one change in and getting it right, then it's the right time to add another, if there's another. If you're unhappy with what's happening in the second shift in your household, in your relationship, and your partner disagrees or they don't want to change, then what do you do? Well, if it's a real problem, consider couples counseling. But if couples counseling isn't an option or isn't viable, and you're on your own, then turn your attention to what you yourself can shift or change to make things better. There are times when we can only focus on what we can control within ourselves. Here are eight ideas for this situation. One, consider if some of your second shift work can be hired out, like a cleaning person or someone who could help with the lawn. If you can afford it, then this is a no-brainer. Sometimes we have invisible rules about doing things ourselves and Those rules can be internal barriers that get in the way. And um, for those rules, you might not want to hire someone, but might be good to evaluate those and consider what your time is worth. Number two, explore if your workplace allows for and encourages flexible work arrangements, like flexible hours or telework. Number three, For those of you who have young children, do you have social support like a grandmother nearby that wouldn't mind helping with the children to free up some time? Or a friend with whom you can trade babysitting? Number four, if you don't already, take 10 extra minutes to plan for the week ahead when it comes to meals to avoid duplication and wasted time. Number five, consider reading Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which beautifully teaches us that subtracting things can enhance the quality of our lives. Number six, again, if you have children, enlist them to do some of the chores. I believe it's important for children to learn to help the community of the household. It's not enough for them to take care of their own rooms. That's for themselves. Starting age five, they can do small tasks like setting the table to learn about contributing to the community. At the age my children are now, nine, 11, 14, and 16, I'm currently assigning each of them the same exact chore daily for an entire month and then I rotate it every month. So my nine-year-old boy, he vacuums the living room every day for February, and it'll change to sweeping the dining room daily in March. Keeping it the same chore every day for four weeks helps to keep them accountable, and the simplicity works well for me. And seven, take a step in self-care to gain energy. In podcast number seven, Commitment to Self-Care and Self-Care for Commitment, I talked about how energy is our greatest resource because what good is free time if we have no energy within that free time? And likewise, we can get a lot done in an hour if we have good energy as opposed to the same task taking two or three hours if we're doing it while exhausted. Reflect on the quality of your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and the amount of sunshine that you get to see where you can make an improvement. Consider if you're taking time for prayer, reflection, meditation, and being mutually nourished with loved ones. If you're worried about the time that things like exercise or meditation will take away, I assure you that the time lost will be equaled or exceeded by time gained due to more energy. Parkinson's Law is a concept I learned from author and podcaster Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek. In 1955, Cyril Parkinson wrote in The Economist about his studies of how the British Colonial Office staff increased even as the British Empire and the amount of colonies they were managing decreased. He concluded that even if no additional work was added, bureaucracies tend to increase in size annually because people add staff underneath them so that they have less work, etc. His essay started by giving an example of an elderly lady who takes all day to send her niece a postcard. She spends an hour hunting for her glasses, an hour choosing the postcard, an hour and a quarter writing it. And then he compares this to a busy person who might get the postcard out in three minutes. There was definitely ageism in this 1955 article, but Parkinson's Law, in essence, is the concept that we complicate work and we can expand it to fit the amount of time that we have. A patient of mine, Rosalie, is an executive assistant in charge of organizing an annual planning retreat for managers in her company. She's been given great feedback that she's always done a wonderful job of getting ready for this event but the process is really stressful to her. I asked her to see what happened if she did 80% of what she normally does in her preparation. At first, this idea was scary to her. She tried it. When faced with creating the name tags for each manager for this event, she made a decision to make them simple this year rather than elaborate, and that saved a little time. And she saved time here and there. And the night before the event was going to happen, she arrived home at 8 p.m. rather than 10 p.m. All the years before, it had been 10 p.m. In the end, Rosalie still received outstanding reviews for her event. This same concept can be applied to some of our domestic duties. We don't have to do them all to perfection. There's some things we can do to 80%, and it's not a bad trade-off for our sanity and self-care. The purpose of this podcast on the second shift is to assist couples in starting a thoughtful conversation about their sense of balance in this area. My hope is that it might serve to enhance well-being in individuals, couples, and families. Remember to make just one change at a time and best wishes to you and yours. If you enjoyed this episode of Psychology America with Dr. Alexandra, show your support by leaving an awesome rating on iTunes. If you'd like to share your comments or ideas about this podcast, follow us on Facebook under Alexandra Miller. Lastly, Dr. Alexandra has written an inspiring children's book entitled There's Always Hope. A story about overcoming, which is beautifully illustrated by Brianna Giasulo. There's Always Hope, a story about overcoming, teaches children about finding joy and gratitude, even when things don't go exactly as planned, and can be found at psychologyamerica.com or amazon.com.